0: impressive but it sure was effective oklahoma by way of a 27 to 14 win over the baylor bears punches their ticket to arlington texas to play iowa state in the big 12 championship the sooners having won six games in a row now get to play for their sixth consecutive big 12 championship but first first they have to get past the West Virginia Mountaineers. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sooner Nation Podcast. Along with Rich DeCray, I'm Matt Hofeld, and we've got um, we've got a lot to unpack from this game in Norman on Saturday night. But before we go there, let's uh, give a quick shout out to the Oklahoma basketball team. Soon, I know, I know, I know, I know. Football pays the bills, but th- you have got to be a little bit excited about this. Stop me if you've heard this before. Austin Reeves goes off in Fort Worth, Texas, Oklahoma, with an 82-78 to 78 victory over TCU to start Big 12 play. Now, this is big for two reasons. Reason number one is it's only Oklahoma's second game of the season. So there was no warm-up, no non-conference, no exhibition. Well, I guess they played, what, University of Texas, San Antonio. But then you jump right into the fire of Big 12 play against a TCU team that was 4-0, Austin Reeves, 32 points in the game. Brady Manick with 14. Uh, Davion Harmon, 13. Kirk Queth coming along. He, he's going to be athletic and fun to watch. But, Rich, I think I, I really think at this point you have to say this team is going to go with Lon Kruger as far as Austin Reeves
1: and Brady Manick will take him.
0: Is that what you think? <laughs> I mean, I do, based off of what I've seen in the first two games, yes.
1: I don't want to count out a guy like Harmon. At this point, because I see that maturity. I see that progress. I see the leap from year one to year two for him. I get he's he's had a mixed role with this team from being a starter to finding himself coming off the bench almost as if he were the sixth man we saw in game one. He played the most minutes of any player regardless of when they entered right. the game and was quite successful in that. I do, obviously, you have to look at the, the seniority when it comes to Brady Manic, you look at that leadership and you look at Austin Reeves, a guy who was a Big 12 preseason, uh, all, all Big 12 pick in the preseason. This is going to be a team that I do believe has the potential to upset a couple of teams here in the Big 12. This is a team that obviously has their, <laughs> their minds set on a, a singular goal at this point, which is going to, again, be making the top half. Hopefully, I, I don't know that it's going to be the number one seed. I don't know that it's going to be the number two seed, but I think Oklahoma's got a, got a shot to be in that top four when it comes to the Big 12 seedings at, at the end of the year. No, I agree.
0: I, I don't think they're going to be number one or number two in the conference, but this is a team that that unexpectedly finished third last season in the Big 12 and I don't see any point point um, and not expecting them to be around three or four again this year. 105 to 66 was the score in their opener against UTSA. And this is a, just a, a crazy schedule. Like I said, they just played TCU for their first conference win. Now they're going to step back out of conference. Big 12, Big East battle. Xavier is coming. Um, no, they're actually going to Cincinnati to play Xavier on Wednesday night, December 9th. And then they have Florida A&M and Norman. They they just rescheduled a game for Or Roberts to kind of take over one of the the two games that they lost at the UCF and Florida. And then Houston Baptist before they finally get back into conference play with Texas Tech on December twenty second. So if you're keeping track, we're recording this on the on the sixth of December. Now you've got eighteen days in between Big Twelve games, and there's certainly room for this team to improve, but. Again, to go on the road in the Big 12 and to get a conference win in just your second game of the season, you, this is going to be a fun squad, I think. I, and I think you, you hate this, you know. I, I hate the way Kristen Doolittle's career ended at the University of Oklahoma, and he was the heart of that team last year. But this team could exceed that 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 what what we saw last year. Uh, let's move on to uh, football. A couple of odds and ends here. Caleb Williams coming in for the Baylor game. We do know Tristan Lee was there. We know Emeka Egbuka was there. There's still no real thought on Egbuka yet. It's It's still between Ohio State and Oklahoma. If you listen to the recruiting experts, I think Oklahoma actually has a slight edge but we're not going to know until after the first of the year, I don't think, with him. Tristan Lee becomes really interesting because he after the Oklahoma game against Baylor, Tristan Lee picked up another crystal ball prediction to come to the Sooners. And this was from one of the Clemson insiders, which means he's now, I mean, he's more of a heavy favorite to come to Oklahoma now than what was previously thought I think there's a good chance, Rich, that Oklahoma can steal both of these guys. And when I say steal, keep in mind, both of these guys, like and in Lee, were heavily favored to go to Ohio State not too long ago. Uh, and I think there's a really good chance Oklahoma can get them both in their 2021
1: class now. It's, it's not something that I would say is outside of the realm of possibilities. It would be a huge get for Oklahoma, and it would really give credence to what We've seen Caleb Williams say from day one, and that is that he wanted to compose a team, compose a recruiting class that would top the charts, would top these rankings. When it all was said and done and ink was on that paper. Now, we know, Matt, that we're sitting less than a week away from national signing, just over a week. Away from National yeah, it's Signing like Day, the yeah, sixteenth, right? I got, got days. my days yeah, confused okay. there. But we're just, we're well, it just depends over. When on they listen
0: to the podcast, whether you're right or wrong on that, right?
1: We're just over a week out here, um, and a lot of things could happen. Some things could change. Some surprises could come down the pipeline as well. We'll wait and see. But I do believe there are three, p- potentially four, five-star recruits. If you want to count Samar Wheaton, that are on Oklahoma's radar that could potentially sign a letter of intent. To come to the university,
0: well, on the hot takes overreaction front, there was a lot of talk on social media Saturday night that Oklahoma's sluggish performance against Baylor could be actually work in opposite fashion with these recruits that were in attendance to the game, and I, I couldn't disagree with that more there's there's not a way for me to express a stronger disagreement than what I have right now with that line of thinking because you got to you gotta understand that these kids, they know football, right? And they know that if you don't have a game for two weeks and then you shut your program down and you get maybe five days of practice and that's not even with the full squad, guess what? You're not going to look like world beaters when you take the field.
1: <laughs> I think two losses would have been more detrimental than a, a win oh, over a Baylor program. Right. Whether you struggled or you didn't, whether the per- perception was that you struggled. Because I don't know that I would say Oklahoma – struggled in this game, I would say something completely different, which we'll get, get into here in a little bit. Well, yeah. And, and my, just my response,
0: because we had one guy reach out to us on Twitter, by the way, at sports heartland on Twitter, one guy reached out, just asking me, Hey, what's your opinion on this talk about the recruits? They're not making their decision based off of that game on Saturday night. They're, they're looking at the entire body of work and that's more than, mm-hmm. than the two losses in, and the six wins. Now that Oklahoma's compiled, It's or I guess uh, yeah, six wins, seven wins, six wins. Sorry, I'm no seven.
1: There, seven. There's one game left on the schedule. It's a ten game regular season. Eleventh game will be that championship. Yeah, game. thanks, homie.
0: Um, but the point <laughs> is, the point is they're 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 compiling more than just uh yeah Missouri State. I'm forgetting who's that seventh win. Yeah, they did start the season with the win over Missouri State. Um. But the point is, they're looking at facilities. They're look. Emeka Egbuka and Tristan Lee both are heavily considering Oklahoma. And the reason for their visit Saturday night was not to make a decision based off of the game. It was just, especially for Egbuka, to see the campus and take in the atmosphere, to maybe make a connection with Caleb Williams. They were both on the field. Before the game, and Williams even got to throw some passes to him on the field. That's the that's the kind of stuff he came for. That game, win or lose, I don't think was gonna make his decision for
1: him. You also have to factor in the development of the players. You have to look at the coaching staff and you see a guy like Bill Beatenbow standing on the sideline. You see what he's done with these offensive linemen when it comes to a guy like Tristan Lee, or we can even lump Bryce Foster in on that conversation because of the develop development excuse me and because of that pipeline to the NFL I think that's an immediate draw you could go 10 and 2 every year but if you're pushing guys into the NFL that's something that these players consider we got to remember the end goal is not to play at the collegiate level of football right. and then bow out into a 9 to 5 job it's to make it into the first round of that NFL draft, which is a real possibility for some of the guys whose names we've already mentioned. Same goes for wide receivers. Talk about the, is it Dennis Simmons? Uh-huh. I always blink on his last coach. name. Yeah. yeah. When we look at what Simmons has done with the wide receivers, he's building a very similar track record. And of course, everybody wants to talk about the most recent NFL draft pick, which was C.D. Lamb, a guy who appears at this point, even though he's a rookie, to have been a steal where he went in the draft by falling down to the Dallas Cowboys. We've seen the recruiting classes that have been brought in since that point. You're seeing Jaden Hazelwood back on the field. You're seeing Theo Weiss have a pretty big impact on this, this game against Baylor. But No one's mentioned Trajan Bridges at this point, rightfully so. But again, he was one of those guys who came in with that class. Now you've got Marvin Mims as that recruiting class after. This is something that's building steam. It's building momentum. And just because there's one singular game that's being considered in the conversation doesn't mean it's the only thing that matters in the grand scheme.
0: Yeah. Speaking of grand scheme, um, Shane Beamer officially named as the new head coach of South Carolina.
1: Yeah, it's official. Officially it's done, done, done,
0: done, done. He's, he's in, he's in Columbia right now recording videos. You can see him on yeah, Twitter.
1: So, so just random break for you. I, I apologize. I was curious to know if some of that was why he wasn't at the game yesterday. Of
0: course it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he was there to be officially introduced as the new head coach. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I'm, you know, pat myself on the back. You know, we had, we've been on top of the story, heartland-sports.com is where you can find our stuff. We've been on top of the story since day one, since he was uh, both on the podcast and on the website. And, uh, you know, we, we learned Saturday night as well as everybody else that he, he it was going to happen. But here's the thing is that we even had said prior to that earlier in the week that we would know a decision on this by Saturday. And, I don't have any new thoughts on this, Rich. It's a great move for Shane Beamer. And it's it's really, if you're going to lose someone from your coaching staff, I think that's one of the true or false questions you had asked me a couple of weeks ago. If you're going to lose somebody from this coaching staff, if you're Lincoln Riley, Shane Beamer's a guy you want to lose because he's not a coordinator. He's a positions coach. Mm-hmm. He does special teams. He does the, the H-backs. And I'm, I don't want to minimize his value to this to this team. But if you're Lincoln Riley and you're looking at replacing coaches like right now, you got to find someone to fill in for the rest of the season. But you're looking at. No, you
1: don't. For Shane Beamer. Yeah. No, you don't. So you're going to coach the rest breaking of the news for you then, Matt. Yeah. It says Mike Uva on Twitter says I can confirm now that new Gamecock coach Shane Beamer will be flying back to Oklahoma tomorrow and well, they're coaching through the Big 12. Right. Championship, which is scheduled to be played on December nineteenth. So we know that Shane Beamer will be with the University of Oklahoma until December nineteenth, but don't count on him being there for the bowl game.
0: Well, I was just going, yeah, because that's a yeah, that's a hard recruiting time right there. You got you got to hit it hard. I was just going by what a lot of the players were saying on Twitter, saying yeah, yeah, goodbye yeah. to him. So and and this I don't is think five that, minutes ago, I don't think the players knew he was coming back, which which is great. But the point is, if you're going to lose someone from your staff, this is the level of staff not. Not to downplay Beamer's role, but this is the level of staff that you want to lose. You don't want to lose an Alex Grinch level, all right? You want to lose on this on this level. Oklahoma heading to the Big Twelve Championship. Were you going to say something else?
1: I just totally butchered that guy's name. It's Uva, not Uva. That's if the, anybody wanted to look him that's up, that's Spanish coming out Uva. of you, Mike. Um, I know, right?
0: All right, here we go. Oklahoma heading to the Big 12 Championship. No Bob Stoops on Saturday night, plus offensive and defensive recaps from the Sooners' 27-14 to 14 win over the Baylor Bears. Rich, near the end of our podcast to preview Oklahoma and Baylor, I, I just threw a little nugget out there that the CDC had changed the guidelines for quarantine From 14 days to 10 days, and that would be beneficial to the University of Oklahoma. Joe Castiglione had said on Thursday of last week that they were going to implement that change immediately. As a result of that, we saw Alex Grinch come back to the sidelines for this game on Saturday. And Bob Stoots back up into his suite with his wife, which is fun to watch. Especially when Drake had that incredible catch in the first quarter. I was a little bit disappointed. Honestly, a little bit disappointed not to have Bob on the sidelines. And one of the reasons why is because Lincoln Riley has now tied Bob Stoops for the most wins through the first four years of head coaching at the University of Oklahoma. Both of them are at 43 wins. Lincoln Riley still has three games left. He's got West Virginia. He's got the Big 12 championship and then the bowl game. So there's a most likely Lincoln Riley is going to end this season as the winningest coach at the University of Oklahoma, through the first four years of his tenure, I just think that would have been a cool moment to share with Bob, having him on your sidelines.
1: One of the things that you had threw out on Thursday as well, as we were previewing this game, was, I, I, I'm I'm going to form it in a question, because I believe that's how it was posed at the time, and it's, would Bob Stoops be the biggest storyline, one of your true right, or false right. questions, after the game? There were so many things I wasn't aware of what you had just mentioned, but there are so many things that could have been tied to that game, that being one of those. And without Bob Stoops there, that story just faded into the background Mm -hmm. almost. I don't know that a lot of people caught on to the fact that Lincoln Riley had tied Bob Stoops. I think it would have been a bigger deal had Bob Stoops been on the sideline. But you also have to look at the defensive performance from this Oklahoma squad. And had they put up a very similar stat line and Bob Stoops was on the sideline. Of course, you're just running with that story deeper and deeper into the week.
0: Well, don't lose sight of the fact just because he wasn't on the sideline, Bob Stoops definitely prepped him to play this game. I mean, he he had a hand in what happened with that defense on Saturday night. So, you got to you got to give him some credit. Even though he wasn't roaming the sidelines in the visor, he was up in the in the press box, but still, um let me ask you this. Oklahoma now it's it's official. Oklahoma Iowa State regardless of what happens Saturday in Morgantown that game could or could not be played. Is is it? Oklahoma's in. So does does the trip to West Virginia knowing that you're in the Big 12 Championship does that become a distraction for you if you're if so. you're a member of this squad? Yeah, this is
1: potentially a trap game. We've talked about how difficult it is one to go on the road in any conference that's a Power 5 conference. I would even say any of them below that as well. It doesn't have to be a power five. Playing on the road is never a given win. Now you want to talk about the difficulties of just getting to Morgantown in and of itself on top of those difficulties of playing on the road. Then we're going to add in some more difficulties, Matt, with some of the health concerns and the players who have currently sat out in the secondary for Oklahoma. I'm not saying that West Virginia is a team that can throw in any which direction that they want to against any player, against any defender. That's just not the case. They're not that capable of an offense. They may have been in the past. Maybe when Dana Holgerson was there, that would have rung true more consistently than it does right now. But when I look at West Virginia and I look at those factors, this one, it it does have that label of a trap game on it. Yeah, I think one good
0: thing that's going to work in Oklahoma's favor was just how rusty Oklahoma looked offensively, and and you know we, just going through our lineup for conversation topics, we got the offensive line woes, the lackluster running game, no downfield options for the majority <laughs> of the game, um, and then you know, th- but but again, I I look back at that and I say, do do you remember what I said, heading into this game about Dave Aranda, because I know I know we were texting about it right during the game, mm-hmm. and and what I said was that, that Dave Aranda doesn't have the guys that can beat Oklahoma, but he has the guys that can make this a sloppy game. And if you remember my, my score prediction was a 12 point game. It was a 13 point game in Oklahoma's favor, but this there, there's so many people angry right now over this game. And I, I don't get it. There's people. I I saw one guy on social media, just ripping just ripping whose decision was this for bob stoops not to be on the sideline now we're gonna lose i'm like really i mean you (laughs) you really feel like not having bob stoops on the sideline is what's going to cost this game against baylor and then afterwards well you know you got to get your act together because you're not going to beat iowa state now why are we even going to the big 12 championship clearly we can't beat iowa state look calm down calm down no game in two weeks. Again, 5 days of practice tops and we don't know how many guys were all together for those practices. Do you do you know why there were offensive line woes? Do you know why there was a lackluster running game? Do you know why there was no downfield options? Because Lincoln Riley said, "Guys, look, we're going to go with what we know. It's going to be a very basic, a very limited game plan, and we're going to get it done." And and you could if you know football, you could look at those blocking schemes and you could tell two things. Number one, they hadn't practiced. Because the last thing you want to do when you're low in numbers is what? Lose somebody to in- injury in practice. So they hadn't been physical in practice. You could tell that. And number two, it was a basic offensive game plan. The blocking schemes were basic. The routes were basic. The running the running game was basic. It was basic. And, and it got the job done. So now you pick up and you move on. But I do think that in itself is enough to maybe help this team kind of stay focused for West Virginia because the criticism wasn't just from the fan base on social media. The criticism, Lincoln Riley himself said, it, it, we didn't coach this team. We did a terrible job of coaching them this week. And I think if you're going to give someone a pass for doing a terrible job of coaching, you got to look at the last two weeks the University of Oklahoma has had. Now, that all that said, if you go back to Thursday night, My biggest concern was the secondary. I didn't really have that much concern offensively, but clearly I had overlooked what this layoff had done to Riley's offense because the defense carried the day or the night because it was a night game, but the defense carried the day day for this team and the offense did just enough. And you really got to say, I know we're not talking about the defense yet, but you got to say kudos to those guys and just be thankful you got the twenty-seven points you did out of the offense.
1: When it just, just general thoughts here, Matt, about the offense. It did feel as though Oklahoma came out, and they were attempting to play a safe game, which not. I'm not going to restate the things that you've already mentioned. But I wanted to add this to it. And when I say a safe game, this is what I'm tacking on to the backside of your statement is that Oklahoma didn't take a lot of chances offensively either. When we right. look at the the lack of turnovers, really, mm. Oklahoma has been excellent at maintaining possession of the ball and not turning it over, not giving other team opportunity. I felt as though that was the game plan in this one, that if Baylor was going to at least compete on the field, they were going to have to earn it. And in that first half, Baylor earned it up and down the field. Baylor earned it. Offensively. I said, we had to live with the left side of the offensive line. Guess what part of the offensive line got blown oh, up for pretty sure. early. It was that, that right. left side and, and credit Baylor credit, Dave Aranda for coming in and saying, it doesn't matter what personnel we have on the field. It doesn't matter how many stars you had next to your name coming out of high school. It doesn't matter who you're lining up against. I want you to give it a hundred percent. And here's what we're asking you to do and making clear defined roles for his players. I think that's what helped Baylor in, in the early going. And it certainly limited that Oklahoma running game.
0: Well, and you remember we talked about Dave Aranda and the Dave Aranda factor, Dave Aranda versus Lincoln Riley, going back to the peach bowl and just the, the X's and O's, the chess match. And what I what I um what I really thought that they had to do was try to limit Oklahoma's rushing attack and they they, they did. did a fantastic job yeah, at that. Yeah,
1: Baylor almost made Oklahoma one-dimensional there for, for the sure. first 30
0: 100%. minutes. 100%. In fact, Oklahoma had 264 total yards of offense. It's the fewest total yards the Singers have had since what year?
1: I feel like you got to go back to the 90s. No. No, it's it's this last decade. Really? I'll, I'll give you the last decade, yeah. But it's been a while. Oh. But it's the last decade. Oh, okay. I was going to say, was it the Kyler Murray year where they only had like th- three offensive possessions? It's the, fewest, <laughs> it's the fewest total yards
0: since they did 232 versus Texas in 2014. So you go back six years. Mm-hmm. and But but more than that, Oklahoma had a a program record 60 consecutive games with at least 28 points or more right. scored. And that was snapped as well. Yes, it was. And so again, uh, good kudos, you know, kudos to Dave Aranda for giving his guys a fighter's, a puncher's chance. But still, Oklahoma won. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you did what the, the goal was accomplished. You're in the Big 12 Championship. Right. That that was the goal. You go back to September. OU's one and two in the season. 0 oh, and two after losing to Kansas State and Iowa State back to back in Big 12 play. You take this moment, if if I could go, Oklahoma's sitting at zero and two in conference play, and I'm tell you, hey, Rich, on December 5th, Oklahoma's going to beat Baylor 27 to 14 to punch their ticket to the Big 12 championship. You're telling me you wouldn't take that right
1: there in that no, moment? I, w- I would take that, and I get Matt that everyone would be upset, and I do largely believe it to be the reason that you've mentioned they wanted to talk about that streak all game. <laughs> Long Oklahoma not eclipsing the twenty eight part twenty eight point mark, I do think was unexpected. I think a lot of people, myself included, expected at least a forty five or a forty point game. My prediction was spot on at forty five. And I mean, Samsonite, I I was way off.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think when we look at the the score predictions for Heartland Sports, I had the lowest total score prediction.
1: Right. And you had attributed that to running the ball consistently. Yes. And, we, and just being an ugly game. We looked at Baylor. We looked at Ebner. We looked at Oklahoma and we immediately looked at Stevenson who we said would have those two names would probably have the biggest impact mm-hmm. on this game. I even said that Oklahoma would probably have 200 yards rushing it was a far Again, cry. Yeah,
0: you were you were way off yeah, on that. Yeah, it was a
1: far cry. But but
0: I expected more than that. I, I expected more than 200 yards as well. In fact, they they ended with 76, averaging 2.5 yards per carry on the night. Ramondre Stevenson, I, I like what I saw from TJ Pledger, but this is the first time we've seen Ramondre Stevenson just kind of get shut down. Now, are you worried, because this is, seems to be the talk, are you worried that now West Virginia – has a roadmap, and and we've talked about that defensive line that the Mountaineers have.
1: I'm I'm not worried, and I see the defensive line that the Mountaineers have. But all things considered. You look at Oklahoma, you look at Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, a master of finding mismatches. And if one isn't just blatantly obvious, he's great about creating a mismatch. Mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to point out as we look at the offensive performance of this game was you and I specifically talked about the impact that a guy like Mikey Henderson could potentially have against Baylor. Mikey Henderson was nowhere to be seen in this game. And again, it goes back to that. I feel as though Oklahoma played it safe didn't want to turn the ball over, didn't want to take these shots 40 yards downfield, but it was all about getting the win and it was getting out healthy at the same time, as you've alluded to. And so when we look at what what West Virginia is going to bring to the table and the Sales brothers, fantastic defensive front there. I just don't know they have the speed to to close down the edges that Baylor does. And you, Matt, if you'll remember this, I said Baylor has speed. Right. I well, said, they've got speed and they can make things mm-hmm. happen. If they're going to stretch plays towards the sideline, they're going to shut those down. And I think that's more, more than, uh, those words played out in that game for me.
0: Let, let's talk about two more things.
1: In, more in this, than West Virginia can do. That's what I well, was going
0: for. And I, let me, I, you reminded me what I was going to say is the other thing that Lincoln Riley in this offense has going for them heading to Morgantown is a full week of prep and implementing the game. I I promise you the, the offensive game plan Saturday in Morgantown, if that game gets to be played, because West Virginia is still dealing with some COVID issues, but the offensive game plan will be more complex than what we saw against Baylor on Saturday night. So I, I'm not worried about it as much either. Um, but two more things we got to talk about. Number one, the physicality level of physicality of this game. I, I wrote about this right after the game in that, The M.O. on Oklahoma was you come out, you punch them in the mouth, and you punch them in the mouth, and then they're going to wear down on you. I love what we saw. Oklahoma, they just kept punching and punching and punching and punching back. And what we saw with Oklahoma State, we saw Oklahoma State kind of cower out of that game. Baylor, this—I mean, this—they I mean, this, kept hitting back, and I loved it. This was a fun game. If you—if you like a physical and who's brand,
1: this defense of— defense isn't played in the Big Twelve,
0: right? Well, I'm just saying, if you like a physical brand of football, this was a physical game that you couldn't help but really f- from the get-go. Um, so, I, I think when you go back to September, and you, that stretch where they lost to Kansas State and Iowa State, if you put this in that same stretch. I don't know that this is a game that Oklahoma withstands. They're not as, they they weren't as strong in September as they are right now. That's for sure.
1: Right? No, I would 100% agree with that. Given what we saw, given the performance. This is a team that we've said on numerous occasions, I don't want to keep beating this dead horse, but eventually turned the corner. And I believe that was in the overtime against Texas. There was that the, the real possibility of witnessing for a third time in a singular season, Oklahoma crumble in the final seconds of the game, in the fourth quarter of the game. That didn't happen. Instead, Oklahoma responded. They found their identity. Maybe they cemented their identity. Would be a better way to put that in those moments. Because that, I feel as though that experience, Matt, that in and of itself changed mm-hmm. this team. It changed the makeup of this team. It changed the mentality of this team. And all of a sudden, it, it wasn't just one individual buying in, but across the board on both sides of the ball, we saw these players buy in. Defensive front, offensive line completely changed, completely remastered, if I can use that term, even though it came with the same name. Yeah, for sure. Um, 100% agree
0: with you. Here's another reason why that this this team was different than September. We talked about the physicality, and then the second and last thing I want to mention on on the offense is the turnovers. And and you you actually typed this up in in the uh, in the notes for the podcast. Oklahoma's only turned the ball over three times in the last five games, and you can make the argument the turnover in this game. And I said, the only reason I say you can make the argument is. It's not on Spencer Rattler. That was off the hands of Ramondre Stevenson. And, and I don't know what Spencer Tillman, I, I remember watching Spencer Tillman because I'm old. Um, I don't know what he was talking about as far as reading the safety and not knowing the safety was there. But it doesn't matter because you're throwing underneath. So that that interception, that turnover is not on Spencer Rattler. It's on Ramondre Stevenson for not gathering the ball when it hits him right in the hands. Now, they're only I I want to get your thoughts on where a
1: spot to hit a receiver, right? Well,
0: it's a running Running back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, still. (laughs) But here's the reason why I say you can make the argument and not the case is because the touchdown pass to Braden Willis. That should have been an interception. And so the tip drill goes against Oklahoma in the first half. It goes in Oklahoma's favor in the second half. And it's opposite. I mean, it should have been caught and it turned into an interception, and then it should have been intercepted, and it turned into a touchdown. So I still say you kind of wash out there because that was right. a bad throw in the second half. Yeah,
1: and and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to that because situationally, Oklahoma was in the red zone for both of those. Right. So you can make the argument that those are a wash. One's an interception, one isn't. Should it be? Maybe, maybe not. Should the other one not be? Maybe, maybe not. I, I'm following you.
0: Spencer Rattler, 20 of 28, 193 yards, two touchdowns, and the one interception. Ramondre Stevenson leading all the offensive, um, all the running backs, 15 carries for 50 yards. He had the one rushing touchdown. Theo Weiss and Ramondre Stevenson both tied for five receptions in the game. But Weiss had his team high, 66 receiving yards, averaged 13.2 yards per reception. Raise your hand if you had Theo Weiss kind of being Oklahoma's go-to receiver near the end of of the season. (laughs) Not me. Anybody out there? Because I'm pretty sure we were all on on the Charleston Rambo uh, train. By the way, three catches for 13 yards for Rambo. But one of the most blatant pass interference calls I've ever seen came against Rambo in the end zone, where he was just completely undressed uh, by the Baylor defender. In all, again, Oklahoma's offense does just enough to get the job done.
1: And at the end of the day, isn't that what you want? A win is a win, regardless of how you come by those. We've talked, not you and I specifically, Matt, but we've talked as college football fans across the country that teams, the the good teams, find a way to win when you hit November Now, obviously we're into December and you've got to find a way to win. If you want to play in those championship games, if you want to be considered a legitimate contender, because you know who you are, you have an identity. There's enough film out there on you for other teams to begin Mm -hmm. to study and to begin to find those weak points, the the chink in the armor, if you will, if you can't win in November and December, it says a lot about who you are as a program and the direction that you're headed in for that season, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, May not have been pretty, may not have been what people expected, but a win, as I've said, is still a win.
0: The only thing I want to say to that is if it's – if you're upset because this didn't match your expectations, maybe just a small, small dose of reality could sit in uh, before before you go to the
1: next game. Last thing on the offense, okay? Uh, Matt, you have said on numerous occasions – Oklahoma is a team that runs the ball to set up the pass. When Oklahoma fails to run the ball consistently, Ramondre Stevenson, 15 attempts, 55 yards. That's a five yards loss. He had a net of 50, one touchdown, 3.3 average. That was not the expectation. I'm not going to mention TJ Pledger because he did exceptionally well in this game. But Um, limited. It right, except he was in six, limited capacity. Six carries, right? Then you also see Spencer Rattler, who racked up ten carries. I get there were four sacks, as well. And you look at the the limited or the hindered running attack, but still Oklahoma found a way to get the ball downfield. I do think that came through passing, but let's talk about a freshman starting quarterback in this situation when you've basically become a one-dimensional offense, the poise and the confidence that you have to have in yourself, but also the the, the confidence that the coaching staff has to have in you. No experience as a starter at the collegiate level until this year. We're, we're, what did we say? Nine games into this thing, and here's a kid who goes 20 for 28, 193 yards with what two touchdown passes? And you could argue on that interception, two touchdown oh, passes for though? sure.
0: Well, and and the thing is, with Spencer Rattler, is the poise and the composure. I mean, again, a completely different player than what we saw back in September. Go back and look at his touchdown pass to Theo Weeds. He buys time. He doesn't panic. He doesn't force anything. And then there's Weiss for the touchdown. That, that's, that's a veteran move. Yeah. And when my big knock against guys like Sam Ellinger, Sam Ellinger is still, man, you're going to get me on tangent, Rich. I blame you for this. But here's the truth. When you look at Spencer Rattler forcing things against Kansas State, forcing things against Iowa State, and then you go back and you look Saturday night against Baylor in a clutch situation, buying time keeping his eyes downfield, waiting for it to develop instead of forcing it. Do you, you know why, do you know why Texas lost?
1: You're talking to Iowa State? Yeah. No. Because Sam
0: Ellinger me. still does the same things that he did as a freshman. When you blitz him, he freezes. He stares into the blitz instead of trying to roll out of it or step up into it. And the reason they lost, Dicker the kicker, had to, that, that field goal had to be further back. Why? Because on Texas's last offensive play, Sam Ellinger froze in the blitz and they sacked him. You, you absolutely, if you're a veteran quarterback, you have to know the one thing you can't do here, Sam, is you can't take a sack. You flush and you get rid of the ball and you you blitz at him. You come right at him. And he freezes. And so what I'm what I'm saying is, you look at the development from September to December of a guy like Spencer Rattler, and and you look at the lack of progress from a four year guy, and Sam Ellinger, and that tells you all you need to know about the. D- People say if you go to Texas, you're going to be a five star recruit, but you're not going to develop. Well, there there's some there's some bold hard evidence right there in front of you. We got to jump on the defensive side of the ball though. <laughs> Okay, here's the here's the list of the COVID casualties. Pat Fields, Justin Broyles, Woody Washington, Bryson Washington, Brandon Radley-Hiles, all unavailable out of Oklahoma's secondary. You're raising your hand. Did I leave somebody I, out? I am.
1: I'm not saying that you're leaving anyone out because this wasn't public knowledge, but we do know that Mikey Henderson didn't play. I'm talking about the secondary, though, defensive secondary. Oh, okay, okay. I was just going to say I'm curious to know if his name would have appeared on that list.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Cause he wasn't on the two deep. I mean, he wasn't even on right. the, yeah, and he wasn't,
1: wasn't listed anywhere. Yeah.
0: And he wasn't, I went and looked at the, cause my son and I were having this uh, conversation, whether we saw him or not. So I went and looked at the participation report and he's not there uh-huh. either. So I, I would assume that he's probably a COVID casualty as well. But the point I'm making here is on the defensive side of the ball. I had said, this is my biggest concern but the reality is the defense was Oklahoma's biggest strength on Saturday night, including a depleted secondary. And I did see, I, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why um, and this just irks me. But I saw people, again, social media, criticizing the defensive game plan because you didn't rush more. Why are we only rushing three? Well, because you have no one in the secondary.
1: <laughs> and I, I didn't think that Oklahoma needed to rush more. No, I think they the got pressure was of there. help. Yeah, go you, ahead. Yeah, yeah. You can look at the the stat line. You can look at the quarterback hur- hurries. You can look at the pass breakups. And five of those, I did go in and count. Five of the pass breakups are attributed to linebackers or defensive linemen. A majority of those fell towards defensive linemen rather than linebackers. Mm-hmm. When I look at what Oklahoma was doing with that front seven, the quarterback hurries, the pass breakups, they again defensively, I felt like there was clearly defined roles. I just said this about Baylor and Dave Aranda, but there were clearly defined roles and it was to alleviate a lot of that pressure that was gonna be put on the secondary. You look at Charlie Brewer throwing 56 passes. It was very evident what Baylor wanted to do. They wanted to test a young, inexperienced secondary with a little bit of turmoil and a little bit of mix-up. Now, a lot of a lot of mix-up. It, it helps that Trey Brown was available. It helps that Jaden Davis is available. Unquestionable. It helps that those two are there. Trey Norwood has come in and been an absolute star since taking over a starting role. For Bookie or even playing a ton of minutes in uh relief of Bookie. But when I look at that secondary and I look at what Baylor was attempting to do, it was very clear that they were going to throw the ball and then keep running it just to keep this this defense honest. The secondary performed exceptionally. I don't know that I would say exceptionally well. The defense performed adequately. They were above average listen I would say exceptional based
0: off of the numbers that we're talking about and and you you look at we one thing we talked about on the pregame podcast was who's gonna who's gonna replace Nick Benito at the rush linebacker they went with right. John Michael Terry you know and you talked about Robert Barnes what's Robert Barnes gonna do he started at free safety you mentioned um, Jaden Davis and Trey Brown but then Trey Norwood getting the, the big interception DJ Graham first interception of his career you the game plan was, I thought solid. You you limit the number of rush. You you take away um, passing lanes and you try to get Charlie Brewer to step up and you you clean him up with your linebackers as much as possible. I've got no complaints about the way this defense played at all, none. And and I will say this though. I think we need to pump the brakes. It's great that Oklahoma's defense only gave up 25 rushing yards. Okay. Statistically, that's going to, cause I think there were 95 yards per game going in. So that's just going to bolster this. We already know they're good against the run. Baylor has zero running backs. Okay. Oklahoma had, well, zero, they had one Oklahoma had zero. Right. until saf- got hurt. <laughs> Oklahoma had zero safeties. Baylor had zero running backs. And so I'm taking that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm.
1: That's why Brewer threw 50 plus times and and like you're saying Matt that really is the strength of this Baylor team. We've talked about the skill set of a Charlie Brewer. We've talked about the deceptive speed that he possesses. We've talked about the decision making, the the arm, the throwing that that he can do when he's on the field and when he's asked to do it. We knew all of that existed. It was the health that we've always questioned about Charlie Brewer. So I'm not surprised that they threw the ball 56 times given the equation of what was going to be playing out on Saturday.
0: But here's what's great about it because Oklahoma secondary has been under fire for quite some time, 56 pass attempts. They averaged 4.7 yards per attempt. What does that tell you? It tells you Oklahoma took away the deep ball. Mm -hmm. Everything was underneath and that's what you want. That's exactly what you want.
1: Let's go back really quickly to Graham. Graham's a a true freshman, finding himself in a role where he's getting a considerable amount of snaps under his belt, even though he's a young player. i I continuously look back at the recruiting class. I continuously look back at Alex Grinch and what he's done in terms of coaching these players up mm-hmm. and making or putting a priority, one on textbook tackling, and two, letting the the turnovers. Happen When we look at a guy who's a true freshman, I felt as though he was tested a decent amount of times against Baylor. And Matt, what it says when I look at these numbers and you see that he has all of his tackles were solo tackles. It to me says that he understands body position on the field. He understands momentum and he puts angles into use and leverages that. This guy's not the biggest guy on the field at 5'11". But when you see that he has three tackles and all of those are solo tackles, all of a sudden you begin to recognize here's a guy who's much like Jane Davis last year. Here's a guy who could potentially be the best tackler on the team. Well, maybe
0: in the secondary. Um, and, and look, you, you're you bringing up a good point about youngsters in general, because can we not talk about Corey Robertson for a minute right. and how spectacular
1: he looked in this game and, and, yeah. Corey Robertson had one of the pass breakups from that, that defensive line.
0: Right. And there's, there's a lot of talk now. Cause Ronnie Perkins, I, Ronnie Perkins, I believe is going to grade out as a first round draft pick. So now there's a lot of talk if Ronnie's gone. What happens? You know, does everything fall apart? But then you see a guy like Corey Robertson come in there and you're like, Oh my gosh. I mean, these guys that are coming in, you, your boy, David Igwebu, and it ended the game with six tackles, third on the team. Um, there's talent there and it's developing and what it all comes down to for Oklahoma defensively is the, they, their continued ability to dominate the point of attack and it, until they can find somebody who can withstand what Oklahoma's bringing with a defensive front. And it could have been more sacks because there's a couple of times that Ronnie Perkins did come in with bad intentions and just didn't make, didn't deliver, you know? So it could have been more, but the reality is, the the point with his defense is, and you and I have talked about this so many times, and this is such a great example, when you dominate the point of attack, when you're wreaking havoc in the opponent's backfield, and you put them behind the chains, it really makes that secondary look a lot better than what it really is.
1: When we talk about this defensive front, putting the the offense, the opposing offense, behind the chains, I have to give credit to Ellison and Mm -hmm. Winfrey in the middle. I believe they had absolute monster games. It'll go unnoticed on the stat sheet. It'll go unnoticed on a card that you look at, but don't discredit what they're doing and how disruptive they've been in the middle. Each and every time something good happened in the backfield, who bursts out of that pile? Ellison and Winfrey.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now On the money down as well, Third down, Oklahoma held Baylor to 6 of 21 on third down. we talk about trends that go for the year. Winning third down is something that that they've really been focusing on Mm -hmm. and excelling in. The flip side of that is (laughs) Baylor was 6 of 8 on fourth down. Right. Now, I look at that and I say, holy crap, they went for it eight times on fourth down. That tells you that it was a nothing to lose, hair on fire, you know, balls to the wall type performance. This is it. We're going to give, we're going to, we are going to unload everything that we have and try to win. And Oklahoma withstood that.
1: I'm curious to know this. This is going to show my ignorance of the game. I'm not afraid to do that on this podcast. As you guys know. Football was not a sport that I I played growing up. I don't have a ton of knowledge. Slowly learning, slowly learning some things. But when we look at those fourth down conversions, if you turn the ball over on a missed field goal, that doesn't count as a fourth, fourth down attempt, does it? No, that's just a missed okay, field because, goal. Okay, because I know that see. Baylor had the the two missed field goals. And when we look at the scoreboard and you see 27-14, to 14, this game could have been a lot closer in terms of the numbers, yeah, given was, those two field goals.
0: Sorry, I was to say, what's crazy about that is th- this same kicker sealed the deal with a 50-yard field goal against Kansas right. State a week earlier. And then he comes to Norman with the win to his back. And if you're Dave Aranda, you're just kind of – if you're Oklahoma, you're thinking, guys, we're – we're getting exactly what we need. The football gods are with us. And if you're Dave Aranda, you're in that point going, they easily could have led six to three, you know, and you're going, I don't know what else I can do. I mean, if this isn't working, that's why you were six of eight on fourth down. It's like, I'm not punting. I'm not trying to field goal. We're going. And, and again, knowing that Oklahoma only gave up two touchdowns for the entire game. Mm -hmm. It's a great defensive performance.
1: Yeah, and one one thing that you didn't see, I think you would have seen this in the past two years. What you didn't see in this game specifically, Matt, was there were no back-breaking plays. There were right. no moments where you felt as though Oklahoma absolutely got torched in, in the secondary. You didn't see, and we've already talked about the personnel shift that happened. You didn't see any moments. I called them lemurs on the field where heads were popping up and turned to the sideline and the balls being snapped because nobody has any idea what's going on. They don't know what formation they're in. They don't know what type of coverage they're playing. And someone's looking just for any kind of help that never came. That has completely disappeared. And when we begin to look at this defensive shift, we begin to look at the defense that they're building under Alex Grinch. I, I think that's something that's often easily Overlooked. It's something that we we tend not to mention anymore. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. Who was Miss Moore? Missed more? Who
0: was missed more? Not Benito. Miss Moore. No, who? Yeah, we know who missed more. That's the the Baylor kicker. Um, who was missed more? Nick Benito or Brendan Ridley Hiles? Nick Benito. Hundred percent agree with you. And that was it. Was almost. And I think Man, with Bookie, you're if you're in one camp or the other. There's no middle ground left there on is not. You're either like cause again when we when we published that that Buki was going to be out with Nick Benito, there was a lot of people going to battle saying, Man, we're gonna miss Buki. We're gonna miss what he brings to the table. We're gonna miss his fire. We're gonna miss his energy. I gotta be honest with you, Rich. I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it. I saw Trey Norwood get an interception. I saw DJ Graham get an interception. I didn't. There's never one. There was never one play, never one play defensively where I thought, "Man, I wish I wish Buki was out there."
1: It <laughs> never happened. It's true though. I I will say this. In Buki's defense, we know that his instincts are off the charts. We know that recognition of offensive sets off the charts. There's not a lot of guys that can compare to him on this Oklahoma roster. But in terms of production, I'm taking Trey Norwood every single day of the week. Texas and Tech, Baylor, what's he, what's he do? He,
0: You don't see his name because he's getting a stupid penalty. You don't see his name because he's getting beat downfield. You see his name because he made an interception.
1: It stinks because I think there's a lot of potential in Bookie. I just, I, I'm assuming at this point that it's being wasted. Trey Trey Norwood, you've mentioned Texas Tech. Two interceptions against Texas Tech, one against Baylor. He has three interceptions in the span of four. four Which I'm games. pretty sure leads the team. You mean the total number of interceptions? Yeah. Wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised by that.
0: So, he, look, I, I've been – if you've listened to this podcast, you know this. I have ridden the the number 44 roller coaster, okay? I've been high on Brendan Radley-Hiles. I've been low on Brendan Riley hiles and I'm back up high, and I'm in the middle. But after Bedlam, man, I just can't go to bat for the guy anymore. I try to talk about his instincts. I try to talk about his leadership and the alignment and so forth. I just can't do it. I can't go to bat for him anymore, and I hope he's healthy. I hope he's just out because cause someone came at me on sp- social media saying that you know well you yeah, can't believe you're you're happy someone's got COVID. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. Never said that, and I hope it's just it's just contact tracing and it's not actual COVID. But what I'm saying is I didn't miss him. I didn't miss not seeing him back there.
1: I said this. In a negative light about Austin Stogner on Thursday was that him not being available opened up this offense. And I don't mean that for Lincoln Riley. I meant that for Spencer Rattler because it seemed as though Austin Stogner was that go-to target. Anytime there was a big moment, the biggest man on the field was the target for Spencer Rattler. That had become quite evident. He's not the biggest man, I think, with Ramon J. Stevenson out there, but he was for <laughs> some time. It became quite evident to me that that was a trend. I'm going to ask this question about Brennan Radley-Hiles towards you and the defense now. Does Trey Norwood being on the field in that role of the nickelback allow this defense to operate as it was intended to? You talked about the stupid penalties right. from Brennan Radley-Hiles right. that even though he was he was there in coverage – the lack of, or the discrepancy in height has often not played out in his favor. No, that's a fair point. And And so so I'm just going to ask that question again, okay? Okay. Then I'm going to let you jump in. Does Trey Norwood taking over that starting role allow this defense to operate as it was intended to?
0: I mean, after all that bashing, I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, I don't think the size makes that big of a difference because you're talking about based on the, on the depth chart. All right. You're talking about one inch in size. I think, I think Buki is at five, nine Trey Norwood is, is six foot even. And there's about 15 pounds of difference between the two guys there. So there's not a lot of size, but it's, it's how you, it, it's how you play it. Okay. It's it's how you use your size. And, and that's, that you know, Buki, Buki hasn't learned when to grab. He hasn't learned when to nudge. He hasn't learned when to be competitive for the ball. And so the guy is emotional. And and emotion can be good because it can fire up a team. But emotion can be bad because it can get you a stupid penalty at the wrong point of the game. And I think it's just more mental mistakes that the guy makes that you don't see in a Trey Norwood. And and not, so it's I don't I don't I don't think it's size. I really don't. Because there's not not that much difference between the two. It's not like you're going from a 59 to a 65 guy. Now, I think Alex Grinch wants to get closer to the 65 guy than what right. he's got right now. But I don't think it's that big of a difference between the two. I think it just comes down to to the to the football maturity of a guy like Trey Norwood. Oh, I mean, let's not forget Trey Norwood was pretty, pretty good before he got injured. You know, he missed all of last season.
1: Yeah, I'll say it this way, um, because as you're speaking, uh, some things are are coming to memory or I'm beginning to recollect those. And it's that Trey Norwood came onto the college scene with something to prove. He didn't come in with the same accolades that a Brendan Radley Hiles did. A guy who a, a lot of people immediately said could be the savior of the secondary, that was never Trey Norwood. Trey Norwood out of Fort Smith, Arkansas, comes in as a three-star recruit. That's not too too far away. It's not the same the same exposure that you would get at IMG Academy. Let's put it that way. And so I feel as though Trey Norwood came in saying, I know I'm going to have to work harder than anybody else in order to get on the field. And I know that once I get that chance, I'm going to have to make the most of it to keep that starting role. Whereas with Brendan Radley Hiles, a lot of the natural talent already existed in him. And he was most likely the best player in any secondary that played on the field with him at any given point during his high school career not saying that he hasn't worked hard because you don't you don't get to that level you don't get those ratings without hard work being involved and mm-hmm. without consistency being involved but at the same time as I think there's this mentality of I did it there and I can do it again whereas Trey Norwood saying nothing's given nothing's n- I'm going to use a a song here, some song lyrics for Uh you, okay? Here we go. Nothing's given to you except your name and sunshine, and that's how Trey Norwood approached it. Is that a country song? It is. Okay, because
0: I I didn't recognize (laughs) it. That's how I knew it was a country song. Okay, um, players of the game for Oklahoma, and then a quick trip around the Big 12, and then we're out of here for this episode. Defense saved the day for Oklahoma Saturday night. So let's start on that side of the ball. Rich, talking about our players of the game, I've got one in mind. I always want to. I'm always curious of your thoughts. So give me your defensive player of the game, and let's see if we're close.
1: If we're close, Matt. Um, I do think this was one of the games that was the most difficult to pick a player of the game and and that came from both sides of the ball. I did feel as though what we've mentioned so far was that the the defensive side of the ball played a played a good game. Regardless of the perception, regardless of a lot of the outside opinions, giving up 14 points is is nothing to scoff at. Right. in the grand scheme of things. And so when I'm looking at this Oklahoma team, I it's hard for me not to go with someone along the defensive line just because of the success that they had and how much they, they absorbed a lot of the responsibility of the secondary. So when I'm looking at the defensive line, it's easy to pick the big names. I'm going to pick one of them. I, I set you up to make you think I wasn't going to go that direction, huh? I'm just curious as to I'm why going, it's I, not Brian Meade. I'm going with Isaiah Thomas. You I mean, didn't, even, he didn't even
0: bite on my Brian. Mead no, I, didn't. I mean, but by the way, Brian meets seven tackles tied mm-hmm. for a team. high. not right. bad. Um, you got also get give a hat tit to hat tip, excuse me, hat tip to uh, DT yell seven tackles five solo. But I agree with you. Isaiah Thomas is my guy. Brian Asamoah was huge in this game as well. But um, Isaiah Thomas tied with three other guys, including Asamoah and your boy, David Aguiwe. Aguibu, <laughs> wow! I just need to stop talking. But here's the thing: two and a half sacks, three tackles for loss for Isaiah Thomas. Clearly, in my opinion, makes him the defensive player of the game.
1: Right? He had the the biggest impact on the stat sheet, but I also think he had the biggest impact against that offensive line. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's why he was so successful <laughs> because all that attention naturally flows towards Ronnie Perkins I've already mentioned Ellison and Winfrey in the middle who I feel as though demand a double team equally as much as Ronnie Perkins does at this point of the season which then frees up a guy like Isaiah Thomas but if he can't get to the quarterback none of that matters at the end true and he's doing it he's finding a way he's still causing chaos and he was that guy that go-to guy as your pass rusher off that defensive line in in the early going before Perkins was available
0: well, Alex Grinch said after the game that Isaiah Thomas should be the Big 12 defensive player of the year. That's how valuable he, he views him for this team.
1: I can't disagree with it. Name name someone who's played better from start to finish. That's what's difficult to do.
0: Yeah, and because you you see that guy like Perry and Winfrey, but he's, I mean, he came on. He he was a little bit of a slow starter, but he's a beast now, but he was a slow starter. But Isaiah Thomas, he's been solid all all along, and I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Let's go over to the offensive side of the ball, and uh, again, I'm curious. I, I've got a thought here, and I'm, I'm curious. So let's let's see what you got here. Player of the game on the offense.
1: Offensive side of the ball had to have been Theo Weese. Really? For me, we're yeah. gonna disagree. And, I love and, it. I and love it. Here's. I'm gonna give you my why. My why is really because the 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 running game failed to produce at a level that we were expecting in this game. We expected it to be extremely run heavy. And here's a guy, Theo Weiss, who's come on as of late and taken over that role that I expected Marvin Mims to have. Now, it's right. not to say that Marvin Mims isn't having an impact on the game, whether he has the ball or not, because he certainly is. But the guy who's, who's reaping all those benefits and making the most of that absence or the lack of production on a stat sheet from Mims has been Theo Weiss. He's been the biggest target here since Austin Stogner has gone down and Rattler consistently goes to him. Why? Because he consistently makes catches, six yards or excuse me, six catches, sixty-six yards, and a touchdown.
0: Five catches, I think. Just throwing that out there, but um
1: I'm just going from memory, okay?
0: <laughs> hey, listen, Theo Weiss is my hat tip guy. Okay. That's the guy I'm saying, you know, he had a he had a good game and he's a guy that was in the running for it. But to me, the offensive player of the game is Ramondre Stevenson. I know you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The rushing game got shut down. But I think what you're overlooking is what Ramondre Stevenson did in the passing game. Right. He had a total of 20 touches, and he had 98 all-purpose yards, 48 receiving, 50 rushing, and he scored a touchdown as well. So Ramondre, why why was he limited? Because he was the focal point of the defensive attack, and he still produced almost 100 yards of of all-purpose yards. And he got in the end zone. So Ramondre is my guy for the offensive player of the game. You also always have to tip your hat as well to Spencer Rattler, 193 total yards passing, uh, 6.9 yards per average uh, per attempt average, the two touchdowns. All right, let's look around the Big 12 real fast and and close this out. Um, let me just let me just go out and cut to the chase. Is is Mike Gundy on the hot seat? Zero chance they should have lost that game. I I know what we said about players quitting and so forth, and I would be shocked. I'm just going to go. I know they've got one game left against Baylor. I would be shocked if Tyler Wallace plays against Baylor. Cowboys losing to TCU in Fort Worth, 29-22. They nearly get blanked in the second half, only scoring six points while TCU scores 22 to lose this game after leading 16 to seven at the half, look—they're—they're they're eliminated from the Big 12 championship. Everybody knows that it's Oklahoma, Iowa State now. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm just gonna say I'm—I'll be shocked if Tylen Wallace plays against Baylor. You've already seen Chuba quit. You've seen their—I their, can't—I'm blanking on his name. Top offensive lineman's quit. If, if you're Kevin Tylan, Jenkins, thank you. If you're Tylen Wallace, what do you have left to play for? What's Baylor going to do for you?
1: Not a whole lot here. So it's it's an unfortunate scenario that's playing out at Oklahoma State with their players. There was so, so much potential on both sides of the ball. And here, as of late in the past three games, we've really seen the defense start to crumble, and now the offense is just giving up. However, Matt, you're asking the question, is Mike Gundy on the hot seat? Had had the beginning of the year not happened for Mike Gundy and his contract being shortened as well as basically cutting a million dollars out of it. Had that not happened, I would have said no, but because it's happened, I I, I'm leaning towards a yes. Mike Gundy's buyout was cut in half by all of the charades and the antics that were happening on campus and the outcry that happened because of a t-shirt Mike Gundy's buyout has been been cut in half, regardless of how you feel about that T-shirt. It's it's all about money right now.
0: Everything's about money right now.
1: And when I'm looking at <laughs> that buyout, it's it's hard for me to say Oklahoma State can't afford it because they can.
0: The two coaches who are dis, who have a fan base that's disenfranchised with them the most in the Big 12 are Tom Herman and Mike Gundy. I think COVID saves both of them. What they, about Les Miles? I don't I I just don't think people care in Kansas. I, I really don't. And and by the way, the Jayhawks were competitive against Texas Tech. They they lost by a field goal sixteen to thirteen in one of the early games, but I just I, I just don't think they care. I really don't. I, I, I'm talking about mass across the fan base. You talk to any Kansas fan, they they want to talk basketball, right? Oklahoma State, you're seeing a lot of people kind of hit the rails against Mike Gundy. We've seen it with Tom Herman for a year and a half now, but when you look at buyouts and you look at declining revenue, I think that saves both of them.
1: Here's the the numbers for Mike Gundy, just in case you're curious. Previously before this season, before the contract reduction from five years to four and before the million dollars being taken away on each, each year, subsequent year, Mike Gundy would have been owed 75% of his remaining contract. This is a quote, okay? I, this isn't from me. It's Zach Barrett on footballscoop.com, but it says this. Let me find it again. It says, Gundy would have been owed 75% of his remaining contract should Oklahoma State fire him without cause. A figure at $5.25 million, which was his contract, which was his salary before August, $5.25 million per year for five years, which comes out to roughly $17 million. $17 million buyout's not happening. You take away a year, you reduce that contract, and here's what it says. It says now Gundy would be owed 50% of his remaining contract, which at $4.25 million over four years cuts his buyout to 8.5. He's played this year, so let's go ahead and reduce that by another year. Now it's just three years instead of the four. I still don't see a big he's buyout. He's played. He's coached.
0: I I. I not know what you mean. I still don't see a big buyout coming. Um, well, let's, let's move on. I, I, I think he's in trouble. I don't, if Mike Gundy leaves Oklahoma State, I think it'll be by his own
1: accord. Mike Gundy's not leaving on his own accord. There's no way. Well, that's, what I'm, that's the point I'm making. I'm saying if he leaves on his own accord, he owes them money. He owes the school money. I know.
0: I think they can agree to walk away. I, okay. I think, I think they can agree just to, to, but he's not doing it. He's he's not going to do it, but here's, what's also not going to happen. A Tennessee, uh, you know, somebody else, a Memphis, somebody's not going to come in and offer him a bunch of money to get him to raise his contract with Oklahoma state. I don't think they're playing that game anymore, but I think this sets up Mike Gundy to have a lot, a lot on his shoulders for 2021. And when you look at the tools that he's losing from this year's squad, it sets him up, I think, really to have to be on the hot seat next year. West Virginia goes down in flames against Iowa state forty two to six to that's what solidified Iowa State towards the big twelve championship. Don't expect if you're an Oklahoma fan just to Oklahoma to go into Morgantown and walk all over the mountaineers like Iowa State did. not because Oklahoma' is not on the same plane as Iowa State. But because West Virginia was decimated by COVID casualties, this game almost didn't happen. What the Mountaineers get a touchdown late in the fourth quarter to, to kind of save being shut out by Iowa State. It's a good game, a good win for the Cyclones. And what I like about it is it puts a lot of tension on Arlington. We talked about TCU, Oklahoma State. We talked about Texas Tech, Kansas. Texas just destroys, obliterates
1: Kansas State. Yeah, I was not expecting that.
0: Well, no. I,
1: I mean, I took him as Kansas State as one of my Friday locks.
0: Yeah, but remember I told you, uh, Baylor, you know, Baylor barely beat them on a field goal. And, and this is a Kansas State team that's just they've lost all momentum. They are free falling right now, 69 to 31. Now let's talk about Texas. We talked about Mike Gundy. Let's talk about Tom Herman. According to reports on Sunday nights. Urban Meyer has turned down the University of Texas. He's not coming. Tom Herman's buyout, do you know what his
1: buyout is? I don't, but I, I do know that, I, at least my opinion here, there was no way that Texas could afford Urban Meyer. It if
0: I was never worried about Urban Meyer, even if he went there, because all that would have been for Urban Meyer is a cash
1: grab. A stepping stone. Did you By the way, did you see Kirk Herbstreit's
0: comments about Texas on Saturday? No. Okay, go do yourself a favor. Go to our website and and look at the article and and listen to his comments. It is incredible what he says about the culture and the climate at Texas. Okay. Oh, I thought you were
1: going to say something else. No, I, I, I did read something that you had posted about Kirk yeah, Street, but I didn't think it was pertaining to Texas. I'll have to go back and yeah, check it out. Yeah,
0: you definitely need to go check it out. But here's the deal. Tom Herman's buyout, $25 million. And basically the word is coming out of Austin is – They would raise money to buy out Tom Herman at $25 million for Urban Meyer. There's nobody else they're going to raise $25 million from the boosters to buy out Tom Herman for. So you got to go get somebody to bring them in to be your next head coach. Let's think about the names that are out there. Steve Sarkeesian. I know Matt Campbell's name is floating around. Matt Campbell's not coming to Texas. Remember, this is the guy when they went there and won. His locker room, he did not dispute it. He didn't say, guys, don't say this. His locker room was saying, yeah, five-star uh, five recruits versus a five-star mentality. That's why we beat them because we got the five-star mentality. Matt Campbell's not going to Texas. There's nobody out there at this point that, that they're willing to go to their donors and say, if you give us $25 million, we can get rid of Tom Herman and we'll get you this guy. I think Tom Herman, there's a greater chance now that he's going to be back on the sidelines next year than than there was five days ago. And Tom Herman is going to be in the same boat as Mike Gundy when you look at who he's losing off of this team. Unless, Unless Sammy Boy decides to come back for another year, which everybody can. If you want to come back, you can. Do we get Tom Herman and Sam Ellinger back on the 40 acres in 2021? Legitimate possibility.
1: I'm not going to disagree with Sam Ellinger. I said on Thursday that he's a guy who doesn't want his legacy to be tarnished, and that's what it is. When, if, if the season were to stop for them and he played his last game in the burnt orange, it would be a tarnished legacy to me. And I'm not a Sam Ellinger hater. I just don't think he's a quarterback. A good one. Well, right.
0: A good one that, that he's definitely a quarterback. He's just not a good one. By the way, Texas hitting, uh, putting a pause on all football operations due to COVID. And that means Tom Herman has decided he's not going to meet with the media this week. I mean, they always meet via zoom anyway, but he's just not going to do it because they've, they've, they've put a pause on football operations. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us on the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, we'd love for you to hit that subscribe button on your iHeartRadio or your Apple Podcasts or your Spotify or wherever you're catching us. Thanks again for listening. You can find us on Twitter, at SportsHeartland on Twitter. You can always find us on the web, heartland-sports.com. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Play we sooner.